Have you ever thought that if you had just a little bit more money or more things that you would be a very generous person or that you would be content? You know, I think we've all probably felt that at some point in our life, if we just had a little bit more, a little more, I'm almost there, but not quite. And here's the thing, when we get there, when we reach that point, the goal always rises a little bit. And we always think, if I just had a little bit more, then I would be content, right? I've noticed that. And in fact, studies have shown that that in this area, that when people have more, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're more content. It also doesn't mean that they even are more generous. In fact, people who have a modest salary are oftentimes greatest givers and are most content. And on the whole, people who have a lot are discontent and are not very generous. I think Paul captures that in Philippians chapter 4 when he says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. You know, we're in a series now, in fact, we're wrapping it up today that we've called Blessed. And we just felt like it was important for us to stop and just think about all that we have in life. And we kind of talked about that. We talked about what the definition of blessed really was. We think of it as one thing, but the dictionary definition of blessed actually means to be made holy, to be fully satisfied. And no amount of money, it doesn't matter how much money we have or things, nothing is ever going to do that except God. And then we talked about the fact that we are blessed because God has given us everything. God's the owner of everything. God blesses us in many ways, so many ways, especially here in America and also financially as well. And we said that we're called to be both good stewards or good managers of what God's given us, but also that we're called to be generous as well, that we're to give it away. We're blessed to be a blessing to others. We talked about that. And today we're going to wrap up this series on blessed. Next week we're off to another study called Sent. So we're blessed and then we're going to be sent, all right? But today we're going to wrap this up and we're going to talk about, we're going to do that by talking about 10 financial commandments. Ten financial commandments. You know, the original Ten Commandments were given by God in the, in the book, recorded in the book of Exodus chapter 20, but they were given by God to serve as a moral code for His people. In fact, it's interesting that every civilization, when they go back to their kind of their code of how they get along with people and government and everything else, are based on the Ten Commandments. That's kind of interesting that God gave them and people recognize them. But these Ten Commandments we're going to talk about today are are not moral code. They're more of a, a financial code. And while they're not specifically listed in the Bible as such, uh, they all are based on biblical principles and on Scripture itself. And what's interesting also is they do kind of parallel the original 10 from Exodus chapter 20. So we'll be going kind of back and forth from one to the other. And I think because of that, they're solid. They're worthy of examination, consideration, and also, you know, it might be something to jot down and get back to at some point to think about how are you doing and, and what is your guideline for finances in life. So let's look at them. The first one is to put God first. And that parallels exactly what the Bible says the first 10 commandments, uh, the greatest commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. In other words, put God first in everything, including your finances. Recognize that God wants to be a part of not just your, your spiritual life, your church life, but every part of your life. Remember, we talked about a couple weeks ago, a tithe. God said the tithe belongs to Him. The first fruits go to God. And if we keep this commandment, all the rest is going to be blessed. You know, it's kind of amazing how that works and how Scripture kind of backs that up. But I want to 
tell you about an amazing story in 1 Kings chapter 17. In 1 Kings 17, we read about the kings of the Bible, of course, but we also read about several prophets as well. And one of those prophets was the name of Elijah, probably one of the greatest prophets of all time. In fact, he didn't even die. Uh, God just swept him up into heaven one day. You can read about that in, in Kings as well. But, but when Elijah was a prophet, he wasn't a very uh, a popular prophet because he had to go before the king and tell him that there was going to be a drought or a famine to come, and it would last for multiple years. And so he did that, and because of that, he had to run and hide for his life. And so we find Elijah hiding alongside a little brook, a little creek, uh, that was, uh, he was alone there, and the ravens, the Bible says the ravens brought food to him. If the king had found him, he would have killed him, but God provided for him in every way <clears throat> until finally he reached a point, or maybe Elijah was getting a little bit stir-crazy of being alone. God said, okay, I'm going to send you to a town, and so he sent him to a, a, a small village. He told him to find a widow there, a specific woman, and to ask her for something to eat. Now, this was a bold request because she was a widow. It was a time of famine, but he, he sent Elijah there, and Elijah was obedient. He found the woman. He asked her for a drink and a piece of bread. And she told him, you know, I would love to give you that. Here's some water. However, my son and I, we have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and I was just getting ready to make us a piece of bread, a loaf of bread, and then we're going to eat that and prepare to die because we have nothing more. We have no money. And Elijah made this bold request of her. He said, God told me to tell you, to make me food first. Well, that was a pretty bold thing to say, pretty amazing thing to say. But he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run die until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So in other words, Elijah said, if you will give the prophet of God the very, all that you have basically, and feed me first, God's going to provide. And you know what? This woman actually did it. She took the little bit of flour she had. She took the oil that she had. She made a piece of bread or a cake, and she gave it to Elijah, and he ate it. Then when she went back to prepare something else, and she had more flour, and she had more oil, and God worked a miracle in that she had all that she needed until God, the, the land returned to prosper again. And you know what? That's kind of a, how God works. It's amazing. You have to ask yourself, why didn't God send the woman to a rich person? who had plenty, you know, that could spare it. I think God sent her, him to a poor person so that through her faith, her needs would be met. You know, people always think that God wants us to tithe so that his work, the church, can have all of its needs met. But in reality, God wants us to tithe so that we can be taken care of. God will then provide for us, as he did with this widow. He gave her everything that she needed, but he also put her in a place to receive blessing in greater ways. Because the rest of that story, if you remember it, the rest of the story was that down the road sometime, Elijah came back to visit the woman and her son had died. And so Elijah raised him back to life again. Now you have to ask the question, would that have happened without her earlier faith? If, if Elijah had gone and, and made this request and she had said no, would he have come back later to raise her son? Not likely. It really isn't. But her faith and trust in God put her in a place where that God could provide and, and meet her, her greater need on down the road, which, of course, was having her son back to her. So here's the thing. Understand, you have to put God first. Does it always make sense? Not always. Not dollars and cents. But in God's economy, it does put God first. Secondly, do not worship material things. 
Do not worship material things. The second commandment is this. Do not worship any idol or image. Have you ever put money or a material thing before God? Have you ever done that? Probably all of us have. I mean, we've thought about that. Not We don't want to replace God, but we've kind of put things on a higher level sometimes. We can never let our blessings become our God, and we cannot put them before the God who gave them to us. And you know what? What I realize is that sometimes we just do that. We let the things God gives us actually come before God. And I have to tell you, as a minister, I've been at this for a long time, but when I hear that somebody has bought a boat or a lake home, I really expect to see less of them. I mean, that's just how it happens. Sometimes our blessings become our excuse because it replaces our worship, it replaces our service in the church. And have you ever bought something? Have you ever bought something that you regretted buying? And if so, it was usually because you didn't confer with God before you did. It was either an impulse buy or you didn't consider the obligation that it was going to bring to you. Isn't it amazing sometimes that the things we have, we end up serving them. We end up, you know, letting those things become more important than they should be. And never make a purchase without asking God about it. You know, I've got a friend who built a rental property. Uh, He said it was the only major financial um, decision he ever made without praying about it. And he said in the time that he had that, it it was always a source of problems. And he never had peace until the day he sold it. Because he never, it wasn't his idol, but it became something he never asked God to bless and never asked God to be in the middle of that. So do not worship material things. Thirdly, do not use God's name selfishly. In, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, it says, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about praying selfishly and expecting God to give us what we want, even when it isn't God's will for us. And we can do that. You know, we can ask God, we can call in the name of the Lord to provide for us something that, that we don't really need. You know, we take his name in vain when we pray and we claim financial blessing that we don't really need. I like country music and there's a song that said, God ain't a wishing well. He's not a wishing well. He's not just like, God, I want this and I want that. That's not how we roll out our prayers to God. Now we're encouraged to pray for our needs anything beyond that is up to God's discretion. And we have to trust Him in that. We need to learn contentment and seek financial peace. And you simply cannot have that when you are a slave in debt and you take God's name selfishly and in vain when you seek beyond His will for your life. Nothing wrong with asking God for His blessings, but when we start becoming selfish and greedy with God, then we're taking His name in vain. Fourthly, be a good steward. Be a good steward. I know we mentioned this uh, before and talked about this. Dan did a great job preaching about this last week. But in verse uh, 4 of chapter 20 of Exodus, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know, God has a rhythm for life. God has a pattern for living. And part of that is that we work six days and we rest one day. That one day is different. It's the, day, it's the Lord's day. We recognize that. We keep it holy. He taught us to manage our time and our money and our efforts well. And if we do that and get God in on our work, then we're going to be successful. That means that we believe that with God's help, we can do more in six days than we can do in seven days. We can pace ourselves, God's pace, we can do more in six days than seven. And with 90% of our money, we can do more than we could with 100% of that. And having God in on it, it just makes sense. It's the way it works. God has called us to be good stewards, and good stewards do three things. 
They spend wisely, they save diligently, and they give generously. That's what stewardship is all about, very, very simply. Fifthly, teach your children. Teach your children. The fifth commandment in uh, Exodus 20, honor your father and mother. And to be honorable and responsible parents, you've got to teach your kids about money. So parents, not only live out these principles, but teach them to your children. Create this environment of love and trust and communication with your kids and teach them to respect God and trust God about money issues. You know, in, in other words, you need to, to, um, to help them to love God, love people, and use money, and not in a, any different order than that. Set them down and explain money. Talk to them about your income. This will be fun because they'll be blown away how much money you actually make. You know, tell your kids what you make. <laughs> no, that's risky. But then, then definitely show them how much you, they, you spend and how much they spend. That would be a great thing. How much you spend on them. And then talk about the responsibility of, of uh, paying your bills. Talk about budgeting. Talk about tithing and trusting God. And it will blow your kids away to see where the money actually goes. They think you're just an endless well of money. You know, it grows on trees, right? But when you show them where it comes in and where it goes out and how you trust God to provide, that's great, that's great teaching there. But if you imply to your kids that all of your problems could be solved if you just had more money, then that's going to shape their minds and their lives as well. They're going to hear that, and they're going to resent you in some ways, but they're also going to resent God. In fact, Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And you know what? Sometimes, even as Christian parents, we could be teaching our children to despise God by the way we talk about money. They might think we love money, that money is more important than anything, and things are more important about that than anything. And Jesus said, you've got to love God and, and despise in some way money, but use it, treat it wisely, because you'll be devoted to one and you'll hate the other. Sixthly, live on a budget. Live on a budget. Exodus chapter 20, verse 6 says, you shall not murder. Okay, this one is a stretch a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you on this one. However, if you're not on a budget, you're killing yourself financially. And, and more than likely, you probably want to kill other people too, you know, including your spouse at times and including the bill collector. So I think I'm going to make it work there, all right? You know what? Budgeting is just smart. Budgeting is a wise thing. It may be a dirty word in your house, but you know what? A budget is just a spending plan. It's just acknowledging that you, you don't have, you know, an endless supply. So how do you manage what you have? You know, I've heard of people who refuse to take financial peace and they refuse to live on a budget because they don't want to admit they have money problems. And that's just ridiculous, I'll be honest with you. It's ridiculous to, to think like that, you know? Uh, denying the issue there doesn't mean the issue goes away. And budgeting is a really simple way to help you make financial decisions without emotions. Because we all have emotions. We all have things we want. We all have things uh, that we resent, you know, in paying bills. But if we budget for those things, we're going to be okay when we get there. You know, a couple can sit down and agree on a budget together and develop discipline and accountability. And here's a great thing about a budget. If, if this is a matter of conflict in your home, I'm sure it's not, has never been, right? But if this is a matter of conflict in your home, you can sit down and agree. And it's amazing how you can be agreeable about things when you're objective. And when you're thinking about how this could work against the other person, you can think a budget's a good thing, you know? 
And you don't think so much about how it's going to affect your life, but, it, but it's a great thing because Mr. Budget can always say no to what you know you shouldn't do anyway, right? And you can be the good guy. You can say, honey, I would love to give you that new car, but Mr. Budget <laughs> says we can't do it today, all right? A budget is a, is a friend. It's, it's a positive thing. And, and a budget is just a map to get you to a better place financially. And so I would encourage you to have a budget and live by that. Because if you're trying to get somewhere without a plan, you're, you're going to always be in conflict. There's always going to be tension there. So, um, so that's, that's that one. Number, number seven, live below your means. Live below your means. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. Now, that may sound like a stretch too, but the reality is that God has established limits and parameters on our lives. Just like in marriage, you know, you're married to someone. There are relationship in marriage that you can have that you don't have with anybody else. If we go outside of marriage, sexually, we commit adultery. And we commit financial sin if we go above and beyond God's provisions and limitations for our life. None of us know why God necessarily has put us in the place that we are financially. You know, we, we think we need more, we want more, we wish we, you know, we're wealthy and all those sort of things. And some of those, honestly, are our decisions about a career choice and things like that. But the reality is we are where we are, and if you feel like God has led you there, then acknowledge that there are some limitations to your life and parameters. And when you spend more than you make, you're living above your means, and you cannot do that indefinitely, regardless of what the television and ads and the media tell you, you just can't do that indefinitely. You know, we can do it temporarily with credit cards and other debt, which is just crazy. But eventually, you got to finish that regardless of what the credit card company says that credit card companies want you to think you have to pay it all back. You do have to pay it all back. You know, that, that's true. So you got to understand the parameters there. Somebody said that people live above their means for two reasons. First of all, they're not content with God's provision. Not content with that, wherever we may be. Remember Philippians 4, I can do this through him who gives me strength. So we can be content. We'll get back to that in a second. But contentment can only be found in Christ Jesus, not in things. But the second reason is people get in trouble because they can't count. They don't, the math doesn't work. You, 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 they don't count the cost of that. Logic tells us that we can't keep spending more than we make. And we live in a fantasy world if we think that at some point it's all going to go away. We've got to understand there are parameters. We have to live below our means. And then eighth, do not buy now and pay later. Don't buy now and pay later. That's our world today. Exodus chapter 20 says, you shall not steal. All throughout the Bible, debt is discouraged. It is discouraged. It says, neither a borrow nor lender be, you know, just, just don't do that. And although today debt is the norm, it is not wise to spend money that you don't have. It might come down the road, but it's just not smart to get in that debt trap. You know, some people um, are concerned with being able to make the monthly payments of their bills. You know, if I can just make the payment, I'm good. But, you know, those payments stack up. And at some point, we realize that we've, we've gone beyond our means. I was reading the other day that here we are in tax season. 80% of tax refunds are spent before they're received. 80%. And you know what? A lot of those are not as much as we thought we were going to get. And so then we're in debt, even though we thought we could... We could do that. We have to understand that God made us for delayed gratification. It's something we don't think about in our world today, but God made us for delayed gratification, to look forward to something, to work toward that, to anticipate that, and wait for the right time. 
Example of that is in marriage, sex before marriage. Wait, wait, to anticipate until you're married. But it's also to having the money that we want before we buy something. You know, whenever you buy first, you don't have the joy when it's paid for. You really don't. Because you've already gotten the joy out of it, you know? And then you almost, in fact, you, you have a resentment, you know, when you realize that now we have to pay for it and we're going to have monthly payments and we got buyer's remorse. We almost resent that we got it. We oftentimes resent the other person that we feel like may help us make the decision. So we need to trust God to provide at the right time and believing that God knows what our needs are. I think sometimes we actually hamper God's purposes when we take matters into our own hands because we can, because of debt and may end up with an inferior product, in fact, uh, because we're impatient. You know, I've always heard that, that money, you know, cash talks, right? If you want to buy something, you got the cash, you can buy it cheaper than if you have to charge it. So understand that we actually shortcut ourselves sometime when we go beyond our means or our provision at the moment. Ninthly, be a good witness. Exodus 20 verse 9 says, do not bear false witness. And you know what? To bear a true witness of what a Christian is, it's the way that we're living our life and including our finances, because that's a testimony of the kind of person that you are. And if you trust God to provide, you don't try to do it yourself. You don't try to overextend yourself. You see, whether we like it or not, people are watching us in our lives. They're watching every aspect of our life. Do we live out the contentment that we're called to be in Christians, uh, in, as Christians, or do we live in constant want? Are you content with what God has given to you? The Bible says to be content, and He'll help you do that. Are we able to rejoice with them when they get something, or do we then top it? Does your neighbor, you know, does they understand, hey, I get to have something that my, everybody else doesn't have, or do you come along and buy a bigger boat or a newer car or a, something that costs more? Are you always trying to top everybody else? Do you ever thank God and acknowledge God's provision for what you have? Are you generous with what God has given to you? See, how we handle our money and, and possessions may be one of the strongest testimonies that we have or don't have. How we act oftentimes speaks louder than what we say. So we can claim one thing, but we can live a whole different way. And then lastly, the tenth one is just be content. Just be content. I told you we'd get back to that in a few moments ago. But in Exodus chapter 20, verse 10, it says, you shall not covet. You shall not covet. You know what? This may be our greatest struggle in life because we actually see what somebody else has and we want it for ourselves. We want that. We want to take it to the next level there. And we may even actually resent them for having it and, and we don't have it. Colossians chapter 3 has good advice. It says, put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Greed is idolatry because we're always wanting more. That's becoming our idol. And that takes us back to the first commandment, saying have no other gods before the true God. Because whatever we covet, we make an idol of that we worship. And that is, again, the, the first commandment, to worship no one or nothing before God. You know, I love what Dave Ramsey said. He says, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people that we don't like. And it's amazing sometimes that we let other people, the world around us advertising, we let those things convince us to make really dumb financial decisions. 
that then put us in a place that we're tense and we're stressed and we're burdened and we worry about those things and we let them dictate about how generous we can be and management and stewardship and everything else. The bottom line is don't let people tell you how to spend your money. Let God tell you how. The, the biblical principles, the Bible is the best book ever on finances and telling us how to live. God understands the pressure we experience, but God wants us to know that we are blessed, that He has blessed us, and to trust Him with everything that we have. You know, I don't want to make it oversimplify, but really it can be simple until we make it complex. Trust God, use what He's given us wisely, and invest in people. Invest in things that matter, the kingdom of God. Because one day, as we talked about, it'll all go to somebody else when we're gone. One day we'll stand before God, and no matter how much we have, uh, will not matter at all. The only thing that will matter is how we've been faithful to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to manage what He's given us wisely and for His glory and for His kingdom. So that's my challenge to you about being blessed. Understand how blessed you are. Several of you talked to me the last few weeks about blessings and seeing God's provision in a new way, in a fresh way, and I'm thrilled to hear that. I just want to encourage you in those things. And, uh, and obviously, we know the greatest blessing that we have uh, is not in money. Uh, it's in what God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you, as we kind of move to a time of communion, to be grateful for that blessing. Uh, and, and I think during communion time ought to always be a time that we thank God for Jesus. Just a simple prayer. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the life that he's lived. Thank you for the example that he has set. Uh, and thank you for the death on the cross so that we might have hope. And we're going to share in that in a time of communion. We have, a, our, obviously, on our table up here, we have the, the bread and the cup. And this is the time just simply that we invite you to come and share, take a piece of bread, a cup of juice. And, and to use these in a way uh, to remind you of the body and blood of Jesus broken for us. And I know that we have people who watch us on Facebook Live or, or, or at home or recorded. And I would encourage you, if you're doing that, to, to, do, to share communion in your home. Uh, we don't think that staying home and watching us on, on uh, videos is the, should ever replace our worship. But uh, let this be a time. Go to your uh, kitchen or whatever and prepare these and share these at home. We think that would be important to commune with your Father, remember Jesus in that way. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, as we come now around your table, uh, we're uh, specifically reminded of the blessing of Jesus Christ. Father, help us never, ever to let anything monetarily or any possession uh, occupy our thoughts and our priorities more than Jesus. God, help us to put those things in the right perspective. And Father, in this time and in every moment, to just remember specifically the love of Christ uh, that came from heaven to live a perfect life and then to die for us. And Father, as we take this cup of juice and this piece of bread, may they be a reminder of the broken body and blood of Jesus. And Father, would you bless them for our spiritual nourishment to remind us of your love and your presence. Lord, we worship with you. We love you. And, and as we come together as a people, we commune with you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.